What a, what a beautiful collection of songs we sang today. That's a, a real blessing that we have here at Light of the World Church. Good morning, church. I'd like to just welcome everyone once again. It's a privilege to be worshiping with you all this morning. And uh, last Wednesday, uh, not this Wednesday just passed, but the previous one, uh, during our prayer service, um, I shared a brief word from the Gospel of John uh, to help guide our time of prayer. And afterwards, Pastor Reggie asked me if I could share that message uh, with the whole congregation. And so here I am to bring you that message. <laughs> if you've been uh, attending Light of the World Church for at least a few months, you probably already know that uh, every month we share a specific uh, prayer focus topic uh, for the month, uh, and the one for May was just announced, and we ask that you would uh, consider uh, that prayer topic and that you would diligently uh, include that in your time as you, as you pray, in your time of prayer. Um, and, and last month, uh, during the month of April, our monthly prayer focus was this, Lord, grow my love for you by increasing my knowledge of you and allow that love to be the motivation of my actions. And I was reflecting on that focus, uh, which has three essential components, love, knowledge, and action. And it was written in such a way that it showed the interconnectedness of each one. And greater love for God, flowing from increased knowledge of God, and action flowing from and being motivated by that love for God. In other words, knowing God more leads to loving God more. And loving God more leads to more actions that are motivated by that love. That's both a reality and a petition. It's, Lord, increase that in me. Grow that in me and grow that in us as a church. And when God does that among his people and others see that in our lives, it leaves an aroma of Christ and God is glorified. And uh, as I shared that evening, one of the things, one of the first activities that I uh, do when I wake up each morning, uh, in addition to praying and things like that, is I, I make my way over to the kitchen uh, to try to get a pot of coffee brewing. And uh, for those of you who are coffee drinkers, uh, you know that that's a higher level of sanctification. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know how that aroma of the coffee just hits in the morning. Uh, you smell it before you taste it. And uh, that sense of smell is something I'm very grateful for. Um, and our lives also emit an aroma to those around us. Uh, there, there's a scent to how we live. We are to be the aroma of Christ. And when we know God and love him and our actions are motivated by that love, that's going to leave an aroma, a fragrance, not only to those around us, but to God. And 
we see that in the Word of God. So please turn with me, if you can, in your Bibles to the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 12. The title of my message this morning is Spreading the Aroma of Christ. And in John uh, 12, we, we encounter a woman uh, who provides us with quite the vivid and literal uh, example of the very thing we're speaking about. Her name was Mary of Bethany, and she was the sister of Martha and Lazarus, uh, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And she loved to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And the Bible tells us that at one point, uh, she sat down to listen to Jesus, and unlike her sister Martha, she was not distracted uh, with much serving or anxious about many things. And not that serving is bad, uh, but for Martha, in her serving, she had lost the attentiveness to Christ, who was in her midst. But Mary sat at his feet to learn from him, and she recognized his worth. And we're going to see how her actions flowed from that knowledge of and love for Christ. So let's give our careful attention now to the reading of God's holy word from John chapter 12. I'd ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the ESV, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. This is the living and active word of God. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. That was the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can cut precisely where we need it to cut in our own hearts. And we ask, dear Lord, would you do that among us this morning? Would you let your word pierce us, Lord, and wash us and cleanse us? And would you open our ears and our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word? 
Would you bless your people today? I thank you for this message. I thank you that your word is a treasure and we need it. Without your word, there is no instructions for our lives. Without your word, there's no way that we can know you. And so we thank you, Lord. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. This account from John 12 happened just days before Jesus was uh, crucified. And it's also mentioned in uh, parallel passages in Mark 14 and Matthew 26. But it's not to be confused with a similar event recorded in Luke 7, which happened earlier in Jesus' ministry. Uh, in Luke 7, a woman described as a sinful woman of the city weeps and kisses Jesus' feet, wiping them with her hair and anointing them with ointment from an alabaster flask. Uh, that event occurred at Simon the Pharisee's house. But this event occurred at Simon the leper's house. Simon was a very common name in that time. Even Peter, his name is Simon. Simon the Pharisee in that other account was the one who thought to himself, if Jesus were truly a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman is touching him and he would have stopped her. And that's when Jesus went on to question him and show him how the one who had been forgiven much, loved and loves much. And that was, that incident, that scene was earlier on in Jesus's ministry. Uh, but Simon the leper, which John doesn't mention by name, but Mark and Matthew do mention uh, Simon, was either related uh, to or very close friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, and he lived in Bethany, which was just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And that's important because, as you know, uh, as the crucifixion of the Lord drew nearer, he moved closer and closer to Bethlehem. He set his face, the word says, like flint toward uh, Jerusalem. Did I say Bethlehem? I meant Jerusalem. And so... We, we can see from this account that this is very close to the, resurrect, the, the crucifixion of Christ. One of the things that we can infer also is that Jesus had healed Simon the leper. And we can infer that from the text and from the context because it was at Simon the leper's house where this feast was taking place. And if you know anything about leprosy, lepers didn't host feasts at their house. And so that's one of the clues that we also seek. So can you imagine this particular feast, including Simon the leper who had been healed, Lazarus who had been raised from the dead, and Jesus, the son of God, sitting 
and participating in that joy that they had together. What a, what a meal, what a moment that would have been. In verse 1, it tells us that six days before the Passover, now we know Jesus was crucified during the Passover. It says, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And the text says that they gave a dinner for him, meaning Jesus. So we can also tell from that and the context that Mary and Martha were very involved in arranging this moment. They gave a dinner for him. This was a feast of deep gratitude for the raising of Lazarus. In verse 2, it tells us that Martha served. Now, we've heard that as well. And it says, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. But Martha served. And this time, it was different. Notice that although Jesus had spoken to her about being anxious about many things, she didn't give up serving. Serving is a way to demonstrate love. But now she was serving with attentiveness to Christ, with joy and gratitude in her heart because of what Christ had done. So she's no longer serving apart from the presence of Christ. She's not alone or anxious about many things. So here she served with gratitude of heart for Christ. And it says that Lazarus was one reclining with him at table. Here was a man who was once dead and now was alive. And he was seated at the table with Christ. And that is such a picture of the redeemed. We were once lost. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And the one who is the resurrection uh, gave us new life. So Lazarus was once dead and he's now alive and he's sitting at table with, in fellowship with Christ. What a, what a beautiful picture of the position of the believer. Seated with Christ. I shared briefly on Wednesday the, the text in the ESV says that, that Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table and how I was an early adopter of the ESV and about 20 or some years ago when it first came out, I, I was reading the scriptures and I came across a, a passage like this and it said, uh, reclining at table? Where's the the? So I called Crossway and I was like, I, I love your Bible, but I think you have a typo. And uh, the gentleman who answered the phone um, could have transferred me, but he was like, I, I actually know this one. It, it's, it's actually a correct phrase. And it just means that it's a phrase that means reclining at, at the table and it's, it's a proper. So that was a funny story that I had to share. But Jesus was reclining at table uh, with Lazarus. The phrase suggests, according to one source, that they were likely 
sitting on cushions or mats on the floor, uh, slightly elevated, which was a common dining arrangement in, in ancient Israel. And it was also customary to remove one's sandals uh, before entering someone's home. So most likely Jesus was sitting on a cushion or a mat with some sort of a support for his back and with his feet extended away from the table. And he was sharing in their joy with them. And verse 3 goes on to say, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, pure nard is a fragrant oil that uh, made from the roots of an exotic plant. It was imported from northern India by the Romans, and it was used as a perfume, as incense, and as medicine. And even to this day, pure nard, you can buy pure nard. Uh, it remains rare and expensive because it requires a, a labor-intensive process of extracting the oils from the plant. And it says that she had about a pound uh, of this very expensive ointment. Um, now, the, the actual Greek word is litra. It's a Roman pound, which was equivalent to 11 and a half ounces, or what they say, 327 grams. Um, so I was trying to do some research about how much would that weigh, you know, because it, it, it's not exactly the equivalent. And the closest I got was, you know, probably like a, a large apple or something like that. Uh, so it, that was a lot of this expensive perfume. And it was worth at least 300 denarii. Now, when we hear that, we go, well, what does that mean? Uh, so to help us kind of understand the value of what she owned and possessed and brought here, a denarii was equivalent to a full day's wages for a common laborer. So think middle class. So, and since people didn't work on the Sabbath, 300 denarii was the equivalent of an entire year's worth of salary. So this was likely the most valuable possession that she owned. Think about that. An entire year's worth of salary today, if we try to give it modern equivalent of, of whatever a middle class salary is, you're, you're talking about like, you know, brand new car type of uh, expense and, and value. And it certainly was far too costly for her to use on herself. But it wasn't too costly for her to use on Jesus. It wasn't too costly for her to uh, break open that alabaster jar and, and, and pour it on Jesus. And in Matthew's account, in chapter 26 of Matthew, we get the additional detail that she also poured the ointment on his head. So she anointed his head and his feet. And anointing someone's head with oil or perfume was a sign of honor, of respect, of, of blessing. But anointing someone's feet 
that was an even greater act of honor, and, and it was generally considered the work of servants. So remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and he, Peter was like, no, no, you can't wash my feet. Uh, you know, that's, I'm, that's like beneath you, Jesus. And of course, Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Uh, but Peter thought that's for lowly servants to do, but not for Jesus. But the irony was that the Son of God, the Son of God also came as a lowly servant. Now, in this time, this is not the age of Nike and Reebok. People wore sandals and exposed their feet to a lot of dust and the dirt elements. So what Mary did here was an act of loving devotion and humility. She, she used her own hair like a rag and she would wipe his feet with her own hair. And it was not customary for uh, women in that time period uh, to unravel their hair in, in public. It often was suggestive of something else. Um, but she, and the Bible says that the hair is the glory of a woman, and she took that hair and, and scrubbed and anointed and washed Jesus' feet. That is amazing when we think about it. She gladly poured out this expensive perfume on Jesus using, if, if not all, most, if not all, of that costly perfume in that very moment. Her extravagant action was motivated by love for Christ. When you love Christ, material things are subordinate. They, they, they don't matter. You're not, your heart is not wedded to, to money. It's nothing for you to think, I'll give this entire year's worth of wages right now to Jesus. And, and that's what she did. Money didn't have her heart. When you recognize his worth, when you recognize his worthiness, there, there's no such thing as worship that is too extravagant. There's no such thing as worship that is too costly. What Mary did was an action that, that flowed from her knowledge and love of Christ. And just a chapter before when Lazarus died, they were weeping. And Jesus wept with them. And now the one who is the resurrection and the life is rejoicing with them. He weeps with those who weep and he rejoices with those who rejoice and it says that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, this is a, like a literal illustration for us. Uh, when we know and love Christ and our actions are motivated by that love, we spread the aroma of Christ. Our actions emit his fragrance. Oh, for the grace to... Fill our homes and those around us with the fragrance of Christ. Think about that. In that moment, who in that home smelled the best? It was Christ. 
Christ. The aroma of Christ spread throughout the house. And guess who smelled most like Christ? It was Mary. God's spirit moved upon her to exalt Christ and and to demonstrate his worthiness. In his uh, commentary on John, A.W. Pink wrote this, her silent act spread around the savor of Christ as one infinitely precious. Before the treachery of Judas, Christ receives the testimony of Mary's affection. And we look at verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, He used to help himself to what was put into it. What a contrast. What a contrast this is to Mary's affection for Christ. She had a heart of devotion to Christ, but Judas had no heart for Christ. He had contempt for her devotion. Her act of love to him seemed like a waste You know, at times our love and devotion to Christ may be scorned by others. Sometimes even by those in the church and sometimes by those outside of the church. The aroma of Christ as it spreads will be repugnant to some. It may be met with indignation and contempt. But don't be fazed by that. Christ sees it. That's what matters. And John clearly identified Judas as the culprit and originator of this protest. But when we look at Matthew and Mark's accounts, we also learn that Judas had infected some of the disciples with his speech. Mark 14.4 says, there were, some who, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? Now, why did they say to themselves? Because Judas had already voiced this thought out. And this proves what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Judas's lack of love for Christ is reflected in his actions and his motives. He was motivated by by greed, by by covetousness, and he cloaked it with pious-sounding language. Why wasn't this given to the poor? The contrast here between Mary and Judas are are striking, and I'm again indebted to uh, Pink here for pointing some of these out. For example, Mary gave freely to Christ what cost 300 denarii. Judas later sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. She brought a jar. He held a bag. 
She was a worshiper. He was a thief. Mary drew the attention of all to the Lord. Judas would turn the thoughts of all from the Lord to the poor. And while Satan was working on Judas's heart to do the worst against Christ, the Holy Spirit was moving mightily upon Mary's heart to pour out her love for Christ. When our knowledge and love for God increases, our actions flow from that love and knowledge. Then we spread the fragrance of Christ to others and to God. And to God. And when we spread the fragrance of Christ, he is exalted. He is magnified. And the aroma will be sweet to some and odious to others. And this whole scene reminds me of uh, Psalm 23, 5. Psalm 23, a beloved psalm. But hear it again, verse 5, in this way now. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Wow. In verse 7, Jesus says to her, says to them, to Judas, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you'll always have with you, but you do not always have me. How beautiful it is that Jesus comes to the defense of his own. And Matthew adds this. He says, he adds, Jesus is saying, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. He rebuked Judas and honored Mary and clarified the issue of the poor. And the rebuke was necessary because Judas had sown confusion into the minds of his disciples. For the poor you'll always have with you, but you do not always have me. But what Mary may not have known was that she was already preparing his body for his burial. Her act of worship pointed forward to the death and burial of Christ. And during the first century, it was a common thing to spend lavish amounts on costly perfumes uh, for funerals uh, to cover the smell of, of decay. And although it would, it would be Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who would wrap the body of Christ in spices and a mixture of myrrh and aloes according to Jewish burial customs, Christ received her act of worship before his death as a preparation of his body for burial. 
and it was as good as done. So whether it's a year's worth of wages or a cup of cold water given, if it's done with the motive of love for Christ, Christ sees it and is well pleased. And when we know and we love Christ and our actions are motivated by that love, we spread the aroma of Christ not only to others but also to God. Again, here we have a literal example for us to help us understand the spiritual meaning. Uh, to many in the room, that scent was beautiful. It smelled fantastic. I actually, I want to get some nard just to kind of s- see what it smells like. The aroma of Christ, but the devotion and the significance of what was done was more pleasing to God. And what better aroma to God could there possibly be than that of his own son? Think about that. If we spread the aroma of Christ, it is far more pleasing to our heavenly father. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And he concludes, who is sufficient for these things? That's amazing to think that we are the aroma of Christ Think think about that. We are the aroma of Christ. Not only are we to be the aroma of Christ, but we are the aroma of Christ to God. Paul describes the knowledge of God as the fragrance. That's the fragrance we smell, we we admit, is the, the knowledge of Christ. Spreading the knowledge of Christ to all those around us is emitting the aroma of Christ. And it's God who ultimately spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, through us. Does the fragrance of Christ permeate your life? Do do you spread the aroma of Christ to others? I want more of that in my own life. Believe me, this, this message was for me first. I, this, is, this deeply moved me as I was reflecting on the, the theme, the, the prayer focus. And I saw this and I was like, whoa, this is like exactly what the prayer focus is about. But how can we be the fragrance of God, of Christ to God, Romans 12.1, and I shared this as our call to worship scripture on that Wednesday, which says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies. In other words, all of our being. Is that too lavish? Is that too costly for, for Christ, who is infinitely worthy? May everything we do reflect that call. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And acknowledging the name of God, the name of Christ, is another way to spread the aroma of Christ. And the writer to Hebrews says, let us do this continually. Offer up a sacrifice of praise. This is what we do even when we gather here, what we did this morning. But you could take that with you in the car. You could take that with you at home and offer a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes when I'm home alone, uh, I work from home, so at times no one's in the house, and I enjoy just I say, oh, now I can, now I can just like let it all out, and I begin to walk up and down the house and praise God and just let it flow. Just say, Lord, I praise you, I thank you, Lord, you're worthy, and th that's necessary. That's important. Do that if you have a a chance. Get away and just begin to praise God. The Lord inhabits the praises of His people. We are going to come to the Lord's table momentarily. And I'm going to ask the leaders to come on up uh, to help distribute the elements. But I want to bring us back to Psalm 23, 5, which says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I think about how that was true of Christ. God literally had a table prepared for him by his disciples, by those who loved him. In the presence of his enemies, Judas was there. Satan was lurking in the background. And in the presence of his enemies, his worth was manifested and in that moment, his head was literally anointed with oil. In John 12, Jesus is a guest at a feast that honored him in the presence of his enemies. And he sat at a table where he was served a meal prepared with love, with, with gratitude, and with joy. And his head and feet were anointed in an act of devotion. And the house was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. And the aroma of Christ was spread. But that is also true of the believer. God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And that table is filled with choice spiritual food.
which is Christ. And he's also poured on our head the oil of his Holy Spirit and anointed us that we would go and spread the aroma of Christ. The Holy Spirit given to believers to spread the aroma of Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. While Jesus was with Mary, Lazarus, and his disciples, he was on his way to give his life for them, for his disciples, for the Old Testament saints, for those who believed in his name, for his church today, and for all those who would put their faith in him. And verse 55 says, and For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, his body having been prepared beforehand, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. Communion is for those who have placed their trust in Christ. If you've placed your trust in Christ, having forsaken trusting in your own righteousness, you're welcome to join us in this meal. And if you do not know the Lord and have not placed your your trust in him, we just ask that you abstain and just remain seated. For it says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I'll let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. If you're a struggling Christian and you hate your sin, and you find yourself confessing your need of God, this meal is for you. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. And so while the music ministry sings, the ushers have come to the front. They're going to guide you row by row. They will call you, and you just come to the middle aisle and partake of the communion. Let's all stand and uh, 
whoever's participating, let's come to the middle aisle, row by row.